Take your Bible, if you would, and let's make our way to Matthew, our long-lost friend. In our New Testament, Matthew, the gospel record from one of the twelve who was with Jesus. Susie came up to me during the uh, break time there, meeting and greeting one another, and informed me that David had given new updates even this morning that are meaningful to us. Uh, One, uh, Aubrey has taken... Aaron's milk for the first time. They have a feeding tube into her stomach and she's received her milk. That's, that's a big, that was a big uh, question mark and uh, that's a very encouraging thing. Um, I also promised Susie that I would use the word poop from the pulpit. She's uh, processing the food that's being put into her system. Um, please, I'm not, uh, I'm not committed to filthy speech. Uh, that's just the basics of what's happening. We're encouraged. They can also start to dress her now so she can put clothes on her and uh, get the little peanut dressed up in all of the finest gear. So they're just extremely encouraged and uh, thankful for God's provision and care for them. And uh, just really, really is an opportunity for them to have eyes for God's work like they've never, never had before. And uh, so thankful for, for that update. Okay, Matthew chapter 4. It's been eight weeks since we were in Matthew. Eight weeks since we last studied in Matthew chapter 13 and concluded the great recounting of the parables of Jesus, uh, in particular the parables of the kingdom that we find in Matthew chapter 13. This morning we make our way to Matthew chapter 14, but I, as I thought this week, I liken this to us waking up from a deep sleep. Uh, Think of it as if you came home from work, guys, and uh, at some point after dinner you hit the couch and uh, without ever planning to, you fell asleep. You wake up at 9.30 or 10 o'clock. No one's there. It's dark and you're all alone sitting on the couch and you have a few questions that instantly flood into your mind. Who am I? Where am I? What time is it? And what's going on today? Uh, Is this morning or is this night? Uh, What in the world am I doing here? And what do I have that I should be responsible for? I've had mornings where I have awakened to the expectation that it's Sunday. It's only Tuesday or Wednesday. I have the, p- the fear and the panic that rises up in my chest as I think, I don't have anything to say this morning. I don't know what this passage means. Uh, so let's ask a couple of those questions this morning as we kind of re-enter Matthew. This is a long book. It's an extensive book. It's a thematic book. You remember this. If you've been with us from the beginning, Matthew's not writing a chronological history of Jesus' life. He's giving us a thematic recounting of the history of Jesus' life. Accurate in every way, inspired to the fullest, and beneficial, profitable for us in every way. So where are we in Matthew chapter 14? Well, you are with Jesus, and Jesus is moving into the northern regions of Galilee. All right. So if you think of Jesus earthly ministry, you can think of it in four basic categories. He started in Judea, which Matthew did not take time to recount the Judean ministry. John gives us most of the Judean ministry. His Jesus begins his earthly ministry after his baptism in Judea. He moves then to Galilee from Galilee. He moves into northern Galilee, which is where we're going now. And from northern Galilee, He heads for Jerusalem. And those are the four major divisions of the ministry and the life of Christ. And we find ourselves now in really a transition. As you'll see, as we study through chapter 14, Jesus is moving into the northern regions of Galilee. I don't know if you take advantage. Okay, I'm assuming you don't take advantage of your maps. Uh, Let me encourage you. There's one map in the back of every Bible uh, that I know of that has the life and ministry of Jesus. That map will help you get a picture of where we are as we go through these accounts. We're on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. And you'll see towns like Bethsaida, Gerasit, other towns like that where you know things happened. Demon possession was taken care of. Jesus goes in a boat. He'll go out in a boat. He'll come back in a boat. He'll walk on the water. This is all happening in the Sea of Galilee, the northern end of the Galilean region. Okay, so that's that's where we are, and uh, this is this is all very helpful to us setting the table for feasting from the Word of God this morning. What time is it? What time is it in the ministry of Jesus? Well, we're approximately a year and a half, somewhere between a, 
a year and a quarter to two years into Jesus' earthly ministry. In Matthew chapter 14, we're mere months away from the cross. Um, One of the things that's hard for us as readers is to keep chapters in order with time. Have you ever found that difficult? It's hard to know where we are in the life of Christ. I mean, how many days have gone by? What's happening? Well, at this point, with what we'll read and study today and in the following weeks in Matthew chapter 14, we are about a year and a half approximately. Uh, Our best guess is between a year and a half and two years into the earthly ministry of Jesus. So at most, we're a year and a half out from the cross. On the shorter end, we could be nine months from the cross. One school year from the cross, to help you put it in perspective. Jesus is well established. He's well known, as we're going to see this morning in our study of the text. And uh, his ministry is well underway. And what's going on today? Well, it's the usual. And if you've been in Matthew, or if you have any familiarity with Matthew, it's the usual for the ministry of Jesus. He's being rejected, he's being opposed, and he is putting on display power and majesty. Uh, That's what's going to happen as we study chapter 14. Many have themed chapters 14 through 16 as the rejection of the mighty king. So we're going to see his might. We're going to see him rejected. We're going to see his might. We're going to see him rejected. Coming off of the parables, he was rejected. Who is this person? Isn't that Mary and Joseph's son? Reject him. This morning we'll see a king hears of the fame of Jesus, rejects him. The Pharisees have already made it clear rejection. And the Jewish people are moving closer and closer to the day when they'll join their voices and scream, crucify him. Give us a criminal. Give us Barabbas. This is the growing theme of the conclusion of Matthew's gospel record. So nothing out of the ordinary is happening here except for rejection of Jesus in the face of his power and his miracles. Now, that brings us all the way to chapter 14 and verse 1. We've sat through the Sermon on the Mount, and for many of us, we're still enjoying the after effects of the Sermon on the Mount. I have the privilege this next week, actually I leave on Friday, I'll be gone all of next weekend preaching in North Carolina for a high school winter camp, and in that camp, we're going to focus on Matthew 5 and 6, and I I'm like a kid in a candy store going back to Matthew 5 and 6. Those are sweet sections of our memory. Coming through the Sermon on the Mount, we got to see the power, really for the first time, the display of the miracle power of Jesus in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Then began the doubt and the rejection of Jesus, beginning with John the Baptist's disciples who come and say from John who's in prison, are you really the Christ? And you remember that all the way through the Pharisees claiming that Jesus did what he did In the power of Satan. With all of that context. Jesus taught the parables. He hid the truth from those who had no eyes to see. And no ears to hear. And he exposed the truth. Through the parables. To those who in fact were his kingdom citizens. He's rejected at the conclusion of those parables. And we pick up the account in verse 1 of chapter 14. The parables are done. But the rejection continues. Let's read the text together and then we'll set the table for how we're going to study it this morning. Verses 1 through 12 will be our text for our time in God's word. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Okay, don't. Don't breeze past this because you know what's coming. Herod said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. That is Jesus is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because, he held him to be a, because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths, 
and the, his guest, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. And his, that is John's disciples, came and took the body and buried it, and they went and they told Jesus. This is the word of God for us this morning. And I believe, though this is a very difficult text for us, at least from my end as we study it together, I believe there is one clear unifying theme that runs through this, and it has two components to it which will make up our study this morning. Here's the big idea for Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Identification of Jesus is a revelation from heaven. Identification of Jesus is a revelation from heaven. And identification with Jesus is sure persecution on earth. So identification of Jesus is revelation from heaven. And identification with Jesus is sure persecution on earth. And there are two simple scenes at work here. So we have a double narrative. We have a very brief account, and then we have a flashback account of a second narrative for us in Matthew chapter 14. So I I believe these two simple scenes are going to help paint the picture and help drive home the reality that identification of Jesus, proper identification of Jesus, is something given from heaven. It's not simply deduced in human wisdom. And identification with Jesus is sure to bring persecution and suffering and potentially even death on earth. Sure to bring it. So let's go to the text. Let's examine it a little more closely than our simple reading and see what we find here that drives home that theme of identification being from heaven and identification with Jesus ensuring persecution. Scene number one, Jesus is rejected by Herod. Scene number one is quite simple and really it's quite small. Jesus is rejected by Herod. This account is something of a mystery because it's placed in here and without verses 3 through 12, we would be left wondering, who is Herod? Why is he thinking about John the Baptist? And what is he hearing about Jesus? So Matthew starts this record and he says, at that time, don't be caught up by that. That just moves us to a new theme. That's a new uh, classification for Matthew. At that time, signifying a movement in his instruction moving away from the parables now into this new narrative section. He identifies Herod, one of the characters in our play this morning, Herod the Tetrarch. Herod the Tetrarch. Now, who is Herod the Tetrarch? He's the ruler of Galilee and Perea. I referenced the maps earlier because I knew I was going to reference them later. Okay, I was loving it being in my map uh, I like getting into my map section, and I was there. And this morning, even, I was reviewing the sections of the time of Christ in that region. Rome ruled, Herod the Great had died, and Herod the Great had three sons that he entrusted his kingdom to, and Rome divided those three sons' rulership into these major divisions. So we have Philip, who is the rightful husband of Herodias. So we have Herod Philip, and Herod Philip is giving oversight to the southern provinces, or the northern provinces, rather, that are above our map. So there are two main regions that are north of the Sea of Galilee that you don't have on your map because Jesus never goes into those regions during his earthly ministry. So he's up there. Herod, the Tetrarch's other brother, Archelaus, is given the southern provinces. So he has Judea and the region south. So on your map, it's on the left side of the water. And you'll find Judea that goes south down into uh, the lower desert region. That was Herod, Herod Archelaus, Archelaus. Herod Antipas is the Herod, the Tetrarch that we speak of here. And he oversaw and ruled Galilee and Perea. So he had kind of an angled approach, but he had the, the northern or the central regions rather of the time of Christ, he was over Galilee and Perea. So this man was familiar with the happenings in Galilee 
and in Perea, which meant he was familiar with the happenings of Jesus from Nazareth. There, there were very few people, in spite of the lack of internet, in spite of the lack of uh, direct TV or cable television, there were very few people who didn't know about Jesus. Thousands were coming, bringing everyone that was sick, being fed, as we'll study later in chapter 14, thousands, 5,000 men were fed. That means approximately 10 to 12,000 people were fed by Jesus. I mean, everybody knew about Jesus in Galilee and Perea, including its leader, the one who had been set over this region by Rome, Herod Antipas, otherwise known by Matthew as Herod the Tetrarch. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, verse number one, heard about the fame of Jesus. So understand, he didn't just hear that there was a person named Jesus who was existing inside of his rulership, inside of his governing region, who was teaching and, and um, going into synagogues and making the truth known about the kingdom. No, he heard about the fame. That means he heard about the power, and that's why he responds the way he responds. His superstitious pagan religious system probably intertwined with some pharisaical understanding of resurrection, leads him to this conclusion about Jesus. No doubt he had heard, there is Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. He claims to be the son of God, the promised king of Israel, and he does miraculous, miraculous, powerful deeds. And here is his assessment. Herod says to his servants, likely the ones telling him about Jesus, this is John the Baptist. He's been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. Now, we read that and we tend to just breeze past that as if almost as if that's that's kind of inconsequential. We have we have this with this guy named Herod and he's a ruler that we don't really know about and He's kind of in a situation that we don't have any context for. And we don't really know who this guy is. And all of a sudden he says, oh, it's John the Baptist raised to life. And we, we might think to ourselves, well, he's wrong. Let's keep reading. But we would miss what is clearly the intention of Matthew. I mean, if we go through and go back in our context to the paragraph preceding this, at the end of chapter 13, and as we go forward into chapters 14, 15, and 16, we will find that Herod is just one of many who reject Jesus with their own version of rejection. So when Herod says to his servants, this is John the Baptist, do not miss what's happening. He is rejecting the truth about Jesus. So, you know, why is that such an important note? Because that has dramatic implications for us today. You are well aware that we embrace wholeheartedly, as the scriptures inform us, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. He is who he claimed to be, and he alone is who he claimed to be. None other than the eternally existent Son of God, the promised fulfillment of all messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. And the only Savior for sinners. The perfect Lamb of God, slain at the cross, raised on the third day to eternal life. To get his identification wrong is to embrace damnation. Any identification apart from Messiah, Son of God, Lord of heaven and earth, will not do. And Herod puts on display the doomed character of his heart when he claims, mistakenly, that this is merely the spirit of John the Baptist embodied in another person in a resurrected form called Jesus. Herod Antipas' rejection of Jesus highlights the critical implication for us today. Jesus is not a good prophet. And for this matter, John the Baptist, he's not the best prophet. He's not the greatest prophet. And to have Jesus identified as the greatest prophet is to identify him as something less than what he claimed to be. And to identify him as anything other than what he claimed to be is to reject him. This is the ultimate question that Jesus asks repeatedly. In fact, 
In Matthew chapter 16, you're familiar with this portion. He turns to his disciples and he says, you remember this? Who do men say that I am? So he says, who are, who are you hearing that I am? And they say, some say John the Baptist, some are saying Elijah. There's various forms of identification that is wrong. Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, spokesman for the twelve, opens his mouth. And in this instance, it's a good thing. Peter opens his mouth. Now, moments later, it's a bad thing. But at this point, it's a good thing. Matthew chapter 16. And he says this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now notice Jesus' answer. Verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, identification of Jesus is revelation from heaven. And misidentification of Jesus is sure damnation. He can be identified as nothing less than who he is. And Herod the Tetrarch stands as exhibit A in Matthew chapter 14 of a rejection of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, this narrative, this two verse narrative. Is critical for us to grasp the implications within the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is rejected by Herod. And in that rejection, we are reminded of the truth highlighted positively in Matthew chapter 16. That proper identification of Jesus. is a gift from heaven. If you're here this morning and you are a follower of Christ, that's there's only two categories of people here this morning. There are those who have rightly identified Christ and have bowed their knee in submission to him. Believing by faith that he is who he is. And there are those who have not. If you're here this morning and you have rightly identified and consequently responded to Jesus. It is not because of the power of your intellect. It is not because of the moral nature of your heart. It is not because of the wisdom of your your perspective and your perception on life. It's not because you had good parents. It's not because you had good siblings. It's not because you have a good job and you're well taken care of. It's because God from heaven in his grace opened your eyes to see Christ. He opened your ears to hear Christ and he opened your heart to believe. So identification of Jesus is a revelation from heaven. But secondly, identification with Jesus is sure persecution And this is where we find the second narrative in the narrative. This is double narrative this morning. Double storytelling from Matthew under the inspiration of the Spirit. And Matthew, I believe, gives us the clue as to why this is here. Second point this morning, Jesus is rejected by Herod, number one. Number two, John was martyred by Herod. I'm, again, lacking severely in creativity. Uh, Jesus was rejected by Herod. John was martyred by Herod. Those are the two divisions. And notice the clue that we get right off the bat as to why this is here. Don't miss the words of your Bible. Don't forget to read what's on the page. For Herod had seized John. Now, you might say, I, I, didn't, I didn't see anything there. I'm looking. Verse 3, for. For Herod had seized John. For is the word because. It's, it's causal. What Matthew's doing in verses 3 through 12 is he's explaining why verses 1 and 2 are there. He's assuming that if we were to read verses 1 and 2 without verses 3 through 12, we would be left wondering, why does Herod say he's John the Baptist? What, what is going on here? What, who's Herod? And why does he think that Jesus, where did he come up with this cockamamie idea? Well, Matthew says, for Herod, he explains it. So in that little word for, we get the explanation in this second narrative through flashback. Matthew informs us as to why Herod would identify Jesus in this way and why his conscience would would smite him with memory of John the Baptist. So we got a little flashback in our narrative this morning. We're going back in time, beginning in verses 3 through 12. I don't know if you grew up like me, watching Nick at Night or 
maybe watching Nick at Night before it was Nick at Night when it was actually live, uh, when it was the real show episodes. We watched the reruns of that. But somewhere in television history, when writers couldn't come up with scripts, you know, they had a bad week writing scripts that week, they would just set up an episode where the people in the show would sit around and say, remember when this happened? And then it would like fuzz into this. And it would just be the old flashback. It would just be the old episodes. And they would laugh. And then it would come back to them sitting at the table. And they would say, yes, remember when, you know, if it's, if it's, the, uh, if it's the large family that says goodnight to each other. Thank you, the Waltons. If it's the Waltons, then they, you know, it's Paul sitting around the mill and talking to grandpa or whoever, granddad or whoever it is and John boy. And they're saying, do you remember when this happened? Do you remember when that happened? That's the flashback idea. And we get one right here in Matthew. So we're phasing back to a previous period. And we find this truth. Herod had seized John. He arrested him. He bound him and he put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife. Because John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you, Herod, to have her, Herodias. All right, so let me just recount. We've read this. Let me recount for you the details of what's here. And then we'll talk about the implications of them for our lives this morning. Herod had imprisoned John because of his wife. But wife should be kept in parentheses or in quote marks because his wife was his brother's wife. Debauchery is nothing new. This kind of adultery is not new. This is worse than any soap opera we could come up with. Let me tell you, this is wickedness on display. And John saw it for what it was, and he proclaimed boldly that Herod was in sin and that what was happening was not right. That is not according to the standard of a holy God. Herodias was tired of hearing from John about their sin. We find out in Mark chapter 6 that Herod really liked hearing John. So he was always perplexed by John, but he kind of had this sense of curiosity. Like, what is this guy going to say? I mean, this is the guy who wears, you know, skin clothing with fur on it, and he eats locusts, and this guy lives out in the middle of nowhere. When he comes into town, I mean, I know he says things directly to us about our relationship and how it's totally illegitimate, but let's go hear him anyway, all right? Herodias has had enough. She says, I want him taken care of, and Herod's afraid of his wife, quote-unquote wife, and he takes care of John, puts him in prison, and confines him there. Now, Herod is a man full of conflicts, and this Matthew's account is brief, but it gives us enough to know how confused Herod is. Now notice what we find in verse number five. And though he, that is Herod, wanted to put him, that is John, to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. We find in Mark chapter six that Herodias wanted him dead, but Herod at times wanted him to live. So Herod is a conflicted individual. He's afraid of the people. He's afraid of his wife, quote unquote. He wants John dead. In another sense, he kind of likes him, wants to hear what he has to say. At least it's entertaining. And this is John's situation. In fact, this is John's situation when we read and studied Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, when the disciples of John came from prison. This is where John is. So in the flashback, John has been taken to prison, and Herod's birthday is John's last day on earth. Herod's birthday brought a party and brought a despicable performance by Herodias' daughter. Now, Josephus, the great Jewish historian, estimates that Herodias' daughter is between 11 and 12 years old. And this is no waltz. And his pleasure in this dance is the worst that you could think it would be. And in the drunkenness of this party and revelry, With the dancing of his stepdaughter, Herod promises her, because of what you've done out here in front of us, I'll give you anything that you want. And he seals it with his oath up to half of my kingdom, which is not a literal promise. It's a seal that he would use to seal what he had just promised. I'll give you anything you want. Herodias had already planned for this. Wicked to the core She had planned for this and she had had John the Baptist's demise in her heart from the very moment her daughter stepped out in front of the king and his friends 
to dance. Herodias capitalizes. She asks for John's head on a platter. Herod, because he's afraid now of his friends, he's afraid of the people, he's afraid of his wife, now he's afraid of his friends, and in some twist of irony, he's worried about his word. What kind of character cares about your word in this situation? You're living with your brother's wife as yours. Your stepdaughter has just danced in a way that pleased you, and in your drunkenness you have offered her everything. And now Herod obliges this request out of fear for those near him. And out of fear for what would happen in his reign if his word was questioned. John is taken immediately. His head is cut off. And his head is brought on a plate to the party. Now this is real, folks. This is not made up. This is not make-believe. This is Herod murdering and martyring John the Baptist. The forerunner of the Messiah. The prophet of the prophets, the second Elijah, the one who came, who was not worthy in his own words to buckle the straps of Jesus' sandals, but who was given the privilege and honor of being the one who cried out, the Messiah is coming, the kingdom is here. This is the one who baptized Jesus, who was his cousin, who in the womb leapt, you remember, in the presence of Mary, expecting baby Jesus. This is a real individual, and without any warning, He is ushered in and he is beheaded and his head is put on a plate and sent to the party. The little girl takes the head on the plate and brings it to her mother. This is a difficult story to swallow. And why is it that we would have this in our record? Why is it that Matthew, under the direct control of the Holy Spirit, would write this down and record this for us. Well, first to explain why in the world Herod was so concerned about the spirit of John the Baptist coming back in the body of Jesus. You talk about an offended conscience. Herod had a conscience offended by the truth of what John spoke and by the reality of his martyring John. He is terrified of the thought of John the Baptist being back in more power in the body of Jesus. But I believe further, Matthew's desire, his intent in giving us verses 3 through 12, is to remind us of John the Baptist. And the reason I'm convinced that this is the case is because Matthew, Mark, and Luke all draw reference to John the Baptist and to his imprisonment under Herod. We just finished in adult Sunday school, our study of the letter to the Hebrews. And what a great time that was. In Hebrews chapter 13, there are two verses that stand out in reference to our study this morning. Verse 3, and then again in verse 7. In verse 3, the believers, the Jewish believers, are commended not to forget those who are in prison. The author to the Hebrews, the author to the letter of the Hebrews, is telling them not to forget those who are in prison for Christ. I mean, that, that's what is implied by that command in, in verse number three. Don't forget those who are in prison. And he goes on in verse number seven of Hebrews chapter 13, and he says this, and remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse eight, Jesus Christ is the same Yesterday and today and forever. Remember your leaders. And the past tense understanding of of verse number 7 in Hebrews 13 is, remember the leaders that aren't here anymore. The ones that have died, who are the cloud of witnesses. Remember them. Remember their lives and imitate their faith. And Matthew lives out that call in verse number 3. Down through verse number 12 in Matthew chapter 14. He puts on display the unwasted life of John the Baptist. A faithful prophet. A follower of Christ. The forerunner of the Messiah. One who lived his life for the glory of God. The one who in this story is contrasted as fearless. Herod is afraid of his wife. He's afraid of the people that he rules. 
He's afraid of the people that are sitting at his drunken party. He's afraid of his reputation with others if his word isn't kept. And John is seen as the one who fears God, who says truth, who boldly proclaims truth. I believe we'd be foolish this morning to miss the reality of the reminder of John's life and to imitate his faith. Identification of Jesus is a revelation from heaven. And John shows us identification with Jesus, with the kingdom, with the king of the kingdom and his purposes is sure persecution and potential death on this earth. But make no mistake, John the Baptist did not suffer loss in his death. He had great gain. For John the Baptist's testimony would mirror the testimony of the Apostle Paul. For me to live is Christ. And to die, only gain to be in the presence of God himself. Now, the third challenge to this kind of a text with a flashback section in it and a double narrative is to ask, how does this apply to us? If, if this is your reading, if, if we're in our Bible reading and we, we read Matthew 14, 1-12, you're writing in your journal and you write, what did I observe? How did I interpret? What did I see that was meant from this? What did the author intend for me? And then you write application. So what? What are the implications on my life? And you, you begin to examine these verses in that way. And I trust that's the process that you're using as you engage with God's word in private worship. Well, no different here in public worship. We need to ask the question, so what? So what? What difference does it make that Herod rejected Jesus and that Herod martyred John? Let me, let me ask two questions that I trust can set the table or prepare you and put you in a right state of thinking for application as the Spirit gives direction internally for each and every one of you this morning. Number one, have you rightly identified Jesus of Nazareth? Now, that's a simple yes-no question, and that's not the kind of question we should ask in our examination of ourselves. But I ask it because the implications of yes and the implications of no are dramatic. Have you rightly identified Jesus? If yes, the implications are surrender of yourself and submission to him as Lord and king of the kingdom in which you are a citizen. If yes, then he alone reigns on the throne of your life. If yes, it is his word that is to be trusted and treasured. If yes, it is his wisdom that you seek and pursue. If yes, his definitions of your circumstances must be believed. If yes, then he is Savior and he is Lord. So, the implications of a yes-no question like, have you rightly identified Jesus, are enormous. If no, if you find yourself sitting with Herod this morning, and your impression of Jesus, your personal impression, your, your perspective on Jesus is something human, something merely human, something less than eternally existent Son of God in human flesh, if it's a good prophet, a great teacher, a moral leader, a great example. And those are the end of your identification of Jesus. Then your no answer has eternal ramifications. So, so let me warn you this morning. To misidentify Jesus. To misidentify Jesus is to garner the wrath of God, your creator, on you. You will face the full fury of a holy God against your sin. If you're here this morning and you have never identified rightly the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. Today is the day of salvation. This is the era of salvation. Grace is extended to you. The offer from heaven 
to you, sinner, can you believe this? Is believe Christ. Believe what is true about Christ. That he lived in perfection in keeping the law of God. He died bearing the full wrath of sinners upon him at the cross. And that he was raised on the third day and lives eternally. Believe. And that Christ will save you. So if the no answer is left untouched this morning, you are running headlong to an eternal suffering under the wrath of God. It would be foolish for us not to not to call you. We're a Christian church gathered for worship as God's people. We're glad you're here and we want you to know the hope of our salvation. The truth of our Christ, our Savior, our King, and our Lord. Respond in faith today. Grace is yours. Reject Him again. Trust your own identification. And damnation is your sure end. Second question. So what? Number two. How have you, believer, how have you considered... The promise of Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and the assurance of 2 Timothy 3.12 for your own life. How have you considered, how have you meditated, how have you worked to apply and, and processed Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, and 2 Timothy 3.12? say, well, not much because I don't know what those are talking about. Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12 says, blessed are the persecuted. And it assures you that those who follow Christ will suffer persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, pastor of Ephesus, Paul is suffering persecution as the apostle out of time. And he says to Timothy, everybody, all who seek to live a godly life will suffer persecution. So when we read this account, this flashback account of John's suffering because of his commitment to the king and his kingdom. How have you considered and prepared for the assurance of Matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12 and 2 Timothy 3, 12? Because fearless proclamation of the truth, both the bad news, which is what we have spoken to Herod and Herodias, fearless proclamation of the truth, both bad news and the good news of Jesus Christ comes from hearts that are emboldened by the faithful word of God. You say, what does, that, what does that all mean? If we have not considered and allowed Matthew 5, 10 to 12, 2 Timothy 3, 12, Matthew 14, 3 through 12, to renew our minds, to renew our expectations, then when we face the sure persecution of identifying with Jesus, we will crumble under that persecution. We will run like the disciples. We will flee. We will deny like Peter who we like to sit over in self-righteousness at the fire. I don't know him. I don't know him. Bleepity bleep, I don't know him. That will be our history. That will be our story. Unless we have considered and allowed the word by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit to renew our expectations so that we're prepared for what is coming and are prepared to speak the truth boldly in the face of opposition and persecution. Brothers and sisters, this is not far away. I, I mean, Matthew 14, verses 3 through 12, this morning, feels the full 2,000 years away. I mean, we don't get the king thing. We certainly don't understand what prison was. Let me tell you, John did not have cable television and a nice padded bed with his own bathroom. We don't get it. We certainly don't understand the beheading thing and the platter and the party and all of the, all the details that's far away, but... Brothers and sisters, this persecution is not far away. In fact, if you cross the border to our north, into Canada, this persecution is happening. This is coming. Because this is part and partial to who we are as followers and identifiers with Christ. You will suffer in your workplace. You will be persecuted within your families. You will be suffering and persecuted in your culture and in your society. You'll be mocked. You'll be shamed. You'll be looked on as a fool and those who will endure faithfully with a proper expectation and dependence upon grace will shine as lights 
in a dark place. And will preserve like salt in the world. So how have you considered and prepared for Matthew 5, 10 to 12 and 2 Timothy 3, 12? Matthew 14, 1 to 12. Identification of Jesus. Proper identification of Jesus is a gift from heaven. And identification with Jesus is sure persecution. May God find us faithful. Faithful. Believing the truth about Jesus. Faithful in proclaiming the truth as we identify with Jesus. Come what may for the glory of God and the spread of his fame. Father, thank you for this text. It touches us right where we live. And yet it's such an unexpected passage. This double narrative, this flashback, this simple story really strikes at the very heart of who we are. And as we recount the rejection of of our Lord and our Savior and your Son, we're reminded of your grace, your sovereign goodwill toward us, your enemies, in opening our eyes and opening our ears, giving us soft hearts. To identify, to believe, to follow Christ. Humble us again under the weight of your grace. Teach our hearts to revel in it. For it to be our joy and our confidence. For it to be our motivation. We are loved because you set your love on us. We are not loved for our own righteousness. We are not loved for our good deeds. We're not loved for our bloodline or our family name. We're not loved because of our church association. We're loved because of Christ and your plan by grace through faith to make us yours. And Father, we are also reminded this morning of the high cost of following Christ. The high cost of selling out for the cause of the king and his kingdom. This is what we have been saved to. It's what our hearts long for. May we be encouraged. Encourage us, Father. Please encourage our hearts from John's testimony. Spoke the truth with fearless, reckless abandon. And suffered the consequences willingly for the cause of His King. Our King, Christ Jesus. Make us mindful. Renew our expectations. Prepare our hearts with the truth. Seal us so that we will endure in the face of persecution, identifying with Christ. We need help this week. We need grace from you in special measure. Use us, we pray, for your ends and for our good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have just a few things to discuss before we go. I I hope that that I hope I I really I say that I think I say this every week. (laughs) I trust and I hope and I pray that Matthew 14, 1 to 12. Will be a text that you as a Berean Christian will go back to examine and that the spirit will use in your life um, to change you and to. Further conform you to Christ, and if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, I trust that it will be yet another another watering of a seed or or be the seed that God will use to bring you to himself. And that's our desire and our prayer for you. Uh, the hub is open today and at the hub, I want you to know that there are resources for you in abundance. There are CDs there. Um, if you're a CD person of sermons past, um, those are also available online. If you do the online thing, there are membership packets, which double as baptism applications. If you've not been baptized as a believer, that's the very first step of obedience for you. You need to be baptized. You need to publicly identify yourself with Jesus. I mean, exactly what we're talking about. That's what baptism is. It's not a ritual. It's not any special extra saved event. It's simply publicly identifying yourself as commanded by your Lord with your Lord. So those are there. Uh, there are also Bibles there available. Uh, there may be resources still in uh, a gospel primer. Those might be there from Milton Vincent if you haven't picked that up yet. Maybe some CDs available as well. Uh, just stop by the hub and take advantage of all that. 
I don't see the Torres's, which means there's probably some hot chocolate there as well. And uh, you'll see the kids mass around Susie uh, for that hot chocolate. Take advantage of that. Grace groups are meeting all over our area this week. Uh, so be a part of your grace group in your region. If you haven't done that, make an effort to be a part of that. You'll be benefited by the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Discussing today. We'll be discussing this text this week. Uh, talking about this uh, together. I'd ask for prayer. As a final announcement for this week, Nathan Torres and I will be traveling together back to North Carolina. I love having a travel buddy uh, along for the trip. It's a good opportunity for us to disciple one another and for uh, accountability with him. I I just pray that you would, uh, or I ask that you would pray for my preaching there, uh, for the power of the Spirit to be evident, and pray for my wife who is in her third trimester and is here. And for all of you who are about to wonder and talk about us in your car. We have a contingency plan in place for the unforeseen that she would be, uh, she would go into labor. And those who are involved in that, I think are praying that that will happen instead of me being home. Uh, But I will rush back. So pray for us this week and uh, pray for the Torreses and for Tim. Just lots of opportunities. I'm sure there were things mentioned. It'll be on the prayer list this week. Garth, why don't you come? And uh, Garth's going to come and close out our time in a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you so much for your word, your holy word, your inspired word. Lord, we are challenged this morning to look at our lives and to see if we are ready to ask ourselves, are we ready for persecution? And Lord, I pray that uh, by your grace, you would ready us that we would consider your word, that we would be not just hearers of this message today, not just uh, hearers of a familiar story of the beheading of John the Baptist, but that we would be uh, applying this to to our lives, that we would be doers, and that we would be considering this and readying ourselves for persecution. And, um, Lord, that we would uh, not only apply this, or that we would look at our our lives in every area, not compartmentalize, the application, but in every area of our lives, um, uh, that we would reflect on our faithfulness and our readiness, and that we would uh, tell others also, wherever we have the opportunity given by you. And so as we go now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us and that you would give us sweet fellowship with one another. And uh, in the week to come, in your son's name, amen.